couple announcements real quick. Um, the winter camp, if you want to get your youth signed up for that, there's still time for that. And uh, there's a special camp coming up you're going to hear about that's going to happen in the summer. I'm, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Don't want to steal John Deming's thunder, but you could bug him tonight and find out what that's all about. And uh, that's coming up. You'll hear about that this weekend. And also, uh, a friend of mine, um, I mean, we're not like close buddies like we call and text each other all the time, but Don, I've known Don Stewart for a long time and uh, am amazed at his uh, uh, ability to read Greek and Hebrew. And he's a scholar. He'll be here Sunday to teach, and, and I'm looking forward to uh, Don teaching. So please come this Sunday morning, either first or second service. He'll be here. I'm going to sneak in and catch him. It's not really my day off. It just happened to uh, work out for him to come. And so I was really eager to get him to come out here and, and for you to hear him. So he'll be here this Sunday, and I hope that you'll be here to enjoy that. And then after the service tonight, uh, fellowship. I'm, I'm hoping to have my, Sunday, uh, or my Wednesday night studies done in about 45 minutes, so there's time for fellowship. I, I encourage you to do that, to fellowship, just to hang out for a little bit, meet some people. The uh, chapel store is open, and... I hear there's coffee cake and coffee, so you can grab some of that and hang out in there or just fellowship in here uh, at the end of the study. So I'll, if, if I finish on time, you'll have time to study, and that's the plan. So let's open our Bibles tonight to uh, the Old Testament. Uh, we're studying the book of Numbers together. We've been in the Old Testament for many uh, years here on Wednesday night because it's such a blessing. And one of the wonderful things I continue to... Uh, uh, it's amazing to me as I continue to study the Old Testament, which I have for many years now. I've, I've read through this portion of Scripture many different times. But every time I read the Old Testament, the parallels and the, uh, the, the wonderful truths that are seen and revealed in the New Testament, found in the Old, it's just uncanny. It's so remarkable and so beautiful when you find them. We'll, we'll see some tonight uh, again. But tonight we're in chapter 2 of the book of Numbers. Last week we began this study. I've entitled it Arranged Around the Tabernacle because God is going to arrange the people now. Um, they've been there at Mount Sinai for almost a year, and God is going to arrange them. As you recall, last week he numbered them, and uh, he numbered the fighting men. He didn't number all the people, but all the men that were 20 years of age and older he numbered, and he's preparing them for their life, not just in the wilderness, but for their conquering by faith, taking the people in the promised land. There's people there, and God's people are going to move into that area and have spiritual warfare. I hope you understand as a Christian, this parallels the Christian, the, the new believer's life in so many ways. Um, we are in a battle. We are called to be in, the, in God's army. We are in spiritual uh, warfare, and God's preparing us as we grow and mature in the Lord. And really, that's what's happening here. God is preparing his people. They were a bunch of sheep herders. They were slaves. They were running from the Egyptians. They were chased out of Egypt, as you recall. They're not fighting people. 
I mean, they, they're agrarian people. They, they kind of grow what they can grow, and they, they eat a lot of meat from the animals they raise. That's, that's the people they are. They're not fighters. They're not military. But God has prepared them because along the way in their wilderness, there's going to be battles. There's people that are not going to want two and a half million people crossing into their border. Kind of sounds interesting, but, but really that's what's happening. These people are, are moving into this new area. They're going to be going across borders, and, and the people, the kings, they're threatened. They're going to be, there's going to be battles since God's preparing his people. And when he numbers them, as you recall, look at verse 46 of chapter 1. There's the number of the fighting men of 20 years of age and older, 603,500 and 50, these are the potential soldiers now that are going to be able to fight for Israel. And it's from that number that Bible scholars, and I think you and I, can easily estimate the population of Israel at this time being at least 2.5 million people. 605,000 fighting men, not counting men or uh, women, not counting grandmas or daughters, not counting any kids. These people were really fruitful. Remember, God, God multiplied these people. He actually promised back in Genesis 12, here it is on the screen behind me, the promise. This is God's literal covenant that he made with Abraham. I will make you a great nation. And you wonder, well, how, how's that going to happen? It happened. And this is, this is where it happened. So now they're a great nation. There's 605,000 fighting men in this nation of two and a half million people, a great nation. And consider this, one of the tribes was not even counted. Remember which one that was? The Levites. Not even, the men were not counted. And the, the, they had a special calling and responsibility in the ministry of the tabernacle at the end of the book of of uh, Exodus, you remember all the chapter after chapter about the building of the tabernacle, how beautiful that, that tabernacle is. And it has to be carried. It has to be disassembled and reassembled. It's the movable sanctuary that's going to move and lead the people on their journey. God is with his people. Another beautiful truth in the old scene in the New Testament. God dwelling with his people. So, the Levites, they have a, a big job to do, to pack and unpack and tear down the tabernacle and move it around. It's in verses 50 through 52 there in chapter 1. So now the fighting men are numbered, and the census was really this first step uh, to be taken to prepare the people. The second step is what we're going to look at tonight in chapter 2. God is going to arrange the people. He's going to arrange them not only in the, their encampment, but also and moving them out and bringing them back in. I mean, that's a big, big group of people, 600,000 soldiers. You've got to have some kind of organization. There's got to be something going on here, order, or there'd be chaos in the nation. And so God's arranging the people now in this second chapter. That's why I've entitled it Arranged Around the Tabernacle, obviously, right? So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into our study tonight. Father, I just thank you for the word and Pray that you would teach us as we open up your word to hear from you. And uh, Lord, this Bible that we hold in our laps, we, it's precious to us. And yet there's so many wonderful truths in it. We have 
yet to discover. I pray that tonight would be moments of discovery for each of your children here. I pray that we, as your people, would approach the word reverently, that we would look and read and take from your word its literal truth, its historic truth, for we believe in it, Lord, and trust you. Teach us tonight, we pray in Jesus. Amen. Again, this book, Numbers, could be entitled the book of murmuring and complaining, and we're going to see a lot of that uh, in this book. Uh, These people are going to be murmuring and complaining about their hardship and the journey and all the threats that they face. They're very immature. They're learning to trust in God, which really is the subtitle of our series. God is teaching them from this very beginning in their walk of faith with him to trust him in everything they do. And that's where our lives parallel with these Old Testament truths that we're learning to walk with God and to trust in God the same way. We struggle. We battle. Some of the same things that they're facing, we face as well. So we need to learn as well to trust in the Lord and follow him by faith. So tonight we begin, uh, let's go back to verse 52 of chapter 1. Because I want you to see this family banner. that We're, we're going to see this banner that comes up. God is going to organize the people. So you've got a flag or a banner. Remember, the people have just made the tabernacle. What did they make it out of? Fabric. Remember the fabric walls of the, the tabernacle, the fabric uh, uh, surround of the uh, outer uh, area surrounding the, the tabernacle. Beautiful, flowing, multicolored fabric that was blowing in the wind, held up by these massive beams and these 250-pound silver weights in the ground, hundreds of them that had to be moved. Beautiful. So they just made this gorgeous thing for the Lord, this wonderful tabernacle, and God is going to have them make these banners. Actually, they show up here, but I'm sure they made banners for their family names. Notice here these family banners in verse Uh, 52, and we'll get to verse 2 of chapter 2. But the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, there it is, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus the children of Israel did, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so they did. Now, the, I made this point last week, but the Levites, they camp all the way around the tabernacle. So anyone that came to approach the tabernacle had to go through the priest, which again speaks of God's anointed, appointed way. There's one mediator between God and man, the man who... Jesus Christ. And so again, this is a picture in the Old Testament of a New Testament reality. There's these, this buffer of the Levites, these God's appointed people around the tent. And people couldn't get near there uh, unless they went through that buffer. Notice f- verse 53, again, it says that there may be no wrath on the congregation. And that word is a very strong Hebrew word, ketzif. And it means anger. It means, it means rage. And God had been enraged at these people. 
when he told him to have no more idols. And remember what happened back in the book of Exodus when they melted their little earring, golden earrings down and they all put together this, it was really Aaron, put together this golden image of a calf. And what did they do? They danced naked around it and God was so mad. He wanted to wipe them out. And, and it was Moses who became the intermediator. He was the one that prayed for and interceded for the people, as you recall. But it seems as though God keeps his distance from these people in their sinful condition, and he surrounds himself, the tabernacle, with the Levites, those men that are appointed to do this intermediator work on behalf of a sinful people. So keep that in mind as we look at the way this whole camp uh, is, is laid out. I, if I might, just for a moment, just consider the New Testament and the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ. We celebrated the Lord's table this past Sunday. We come boldly into the throne of God's presence. We share communion together, and we, those elements represent Jesus, his body broken, his blood shed, we, we have this close relationship, not like in the Old Testament. They had to keep their distance. God was in their, their midst. Now, for us in the New Testament, where is Jesus lives where? He's in me. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. It's a beautiful truth how close we are to God. These people, there had to be a distance. And they're learning to walk by faith here. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 2, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, every one of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard beside the emblems of his father's house. They shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting. So there, there's distance between them and the tabernacle, obviously by the Levites that were camped around. And then there's extra distance, but there's an emblem, there's a standard, there's a banner, there's a... Um, uh, zip code, there's a, uh, you can call it many different things. Here's a couple of uh, examples. I would imagine the banners that these people created. Remember how Beziel, the builder, and, and uh, the book of Exodus was so gifted by God, and he, was, he handcrafted gold and, and emblems on the, he sewed, and it, the guy was uh, off the scale. I'm sure that the banners they had for the different tribes were beautiful. These are just some examples just to try to get in your mind that, that there were these. And, and really, the eagle, there's the eagle, the bull, the lion, and the man. And you'll see, we'll see that as we go through this text. So just wanted to give you some kind of a visual here. But everyone's going to camp there next to their standard. They've been there at Mount Sinai. They've camped the way they want. Who knows how they ended up, how much chaos there was, if there was roads or rows or anything. God is going to arrange them into rows. He's going to make them more a, a, a group of people that you could move through the ranks. This is a military-style uh, arrangement that God's going to be doing. So we're not really sure how they camped before that year while they were, they were at the foot of uh, Mount Sinai, but now God is ordering them. Uh, he's putting them together, designing a place for them to pitch their own tent, verse 2, by his own standard beside the emblem of his father's house. So the families would have camped together. Now remember, there's thousands of, of people in each one of these tribes, not, 
I mean, there's a hundred and some thousand in a couple of these tribes. There's lots of people here. So this, this uh, I mean, this, these are little city blocks, all organized and arranged the way God wants them to be arranged. I, when I was studying today, I was chuckling because I was thinking about these people. You know, they, they stumble out of Egypt. They're running from the Egyptians. They, they don't, they're not warriors. They're slaves. So I'm thinking of Goober Pyle, you know, and they're camping, and they don't know what they're doing. They really don't. They, they're, they're F troop. I don't know. You could put whatever label on them. But now God is going to really arrange them. He's preparing them. They have some serious work to do. And I would say that we come to Christ, we kind of stumble as babes in the Lord. And, and it takes years for us to grow. Really, it does. Don't, don't think that if you've just come to Christ within the last year or five years that, that you're going to be super Christian, that you're going to, you know, know it all. You know, ask Don this Sunday. Ask Don. I mean, he, he's written a book with Josh McDowell. That's where I first uh, met the guy. I had went to a youth event when I was a, a younger man, a youth pastor at this church back in the, um, when was that? That was like 86. And Josh McDowell was at a Baptist church right here locally in San Bernardino. So I went to see him. And he had his new book, you know. Evidence That Demands Verdict. I don't know if you've read that book. It's a standard. It's a great book, great apologetic book. But it's co-authored by this young, you know, seminarian, this young apologist, this young doctor, Don Stewart. So you'll you'll meet Don. You can ask him. And he'll tell you now, even though he can read Greek, I can't. He'll tell you there's so much in the Bible that he hasn't learned. There's so much in there we have to learn. We just need to be humble and uh, we start humble, and we need to continue to be humble and learning, learning, growing, growing our whole lives. That's what makes the Bible so wonderful and study of it so valuable year in, in and year out. You can always learn something new. Now, these people now, God is organizing them into a fighting force. So he begins by telling them, uh, I'm going to arrange you in these little areas, and you're going to assemble and reassemble. And if you get scattered on the battlefield, this is how you're going to know where you're supposed to be. Somebody's going to hold a banner. The banner's going to be raised up high. And it's going to have your family emblem on it, and you'll be able to assemble under the banner. They don't have internet like you do. They don't have walkie-talkies. So this is their way to, to get together, to, to assemble the, the group. And the, the banner becomes a rallying point for each tribe. It becomes a marching place. It becomes a, oh, follow the banner. There it's going that way. Let's follow the banner that way. You know, that's, and there's lots and lots of people here. Keep that in mind. So here we have the description beginning in verse 3 of the tribes and, and their encampment. Let me just show a picture of this and then we'll, here's one rendering and it's, I know it's small. But there's little, you can see the different tribes' names and, and the, the artist that tried to render this in some way so you could see it. Is, there's little tents and all around the tabernacle are all the Levites and then, and then outside there, there's the other and outside there. So this is really organized. I mean, nobody was there with their Polaroid camera to take a picture of their iPhone. So uh, this is the best we can do. But just keep that in mind. You know, we're, we're organizing the people. On the east side, verse 3, toward the rising of the sun, those of the standard of the forces of Judah shall camp according to their armies. 
And Nashon, the son of Ahimadab, shall be the leader of the children of Judah. And his army was numbered at 74,600. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Ishkar. And uh, Nathaniel, the son of Zuar, shall be the leader of the children of Ishkar. And his army was numbered at 54,400. Then comes the tribe of Zebulun. And Eliab, the son of Helon, shall be the leader of the children of Zebulun. And his army was numbered at 57,400. And who were numbered according to the armies of the forces with Judah? 186,400. These shall break camp first. So not only do we get a location on the east of the tabernacle, so they have a general area that they camp with their families, we find out who breaks camp first. So when, when God begins to move from the tabernacle, remember there's a cloud by day, there's a pillar of fire at night. And when God begins to move, oh, there he goes. Who moves first? The guys in the back, the guys in the side? No, it's, it's uh, this tribe here, Judah, Judah, and that banner would be raised. I don't know if they had torches to put around it so everybody could see it, but the banner would be raised and the people would start to move. The tribes uh, on the east, there's order in the camp and timing for the camp to move. So this is really important. God's really orderly about what he wants to do and how he wants the, the group to move. He doesn't want the mob, you know, everybody's moving, you know, and tripping over everybody else and trampling the kids or whatever, you know, there's, there's, there's order to the movement of this uh, whole group. Now, the tribes on the south, verse 10, on the south side shall be the standard of the forces of Reuben, according to their armies. And the leader of the children of Reuben shall be Elzer, the son of Shudur, and his army was numbered at 46,500. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon. And the leader of the children of Simeon shall be, shall, <laughs> she, I, you know, I practice these all day, but anyway, verse 13, and his army was numbered at 59,300. Then comes the tribe of Gad, and the leader of the children of Gad. So here, the, these are the sons of Israel, right? Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, the 12 sons of Israel. And then you had Joseph, who's not named, but his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so you have, these are the ones that are, are the tribes that are being named and numbered, and they're the ones that their offspring, obviously, I mean, this 400 years after these guys went into Egypt, these are their offspring, and then the leaders of their families at this time. So this uh, tribe on the south, it goes all the way down to verse 16, all who were numbered according to their armies and forces with Reuben were 151,000. 1,450, they shall be the second to break camp. So they're on the south side of the tabernacle, Reuben. So he was really closest to the tabernacle. When uh, I'll have another picture in a little bit. I'll show you how that works out. And then the tribes of Simeon and Gad, they follow in order. So there's this order for the people to follow. Then you have the middle tribe. Notice there's one verse here, verse 17. And the tabernacle of meeting shall move out with the camp of the Levites in the middle. So you first have these first two groups that move. 
And then the Levites, they pick up the tabernacle, they get it all, remember the poles and the rings, and it's all movable. It's all can be, you know, uh, compacted down and carried. So then they move uh, in the middle, and then you have the tribe on the west, verse 18, on the west side shall be the standard of the forces of Ephraim according to the, their armies, and the leader of the children of Ephraim and shall be Elshma, the son of Emihad, and his army was numbered at 40,500. 40, Next to him comes the tribe of Manasseh. The leader of the children of Manasseh shall be Gamaliel and son of Pedazur. And his army was numbered at 32,200. Then comes the tribe of Benjamin. And the leader of the children of Benjamin shall be Abidan, the son of Gideon. And his army was numbered at 35,400. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces of Ephraim were 108,100. And they shall be the third to break camp. So there on the west side, Ephraim, uh, his, uh, we have Manasseh, Benjamin, those tribes. They break up in that, again, in that order. Now Ephraim... I showed you the banners earlier. Each one of the Judah was the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion was the, the emblem that would have been on the Judah's tribe. Ephraim was a calf. Reuben was a man. Um, and th these will be significant, and I'll explain them uh, in a moment. The tribes on the north, verse 25, the standard of the force, forces with Dan shall be on the north side according to their armies. The leader of the children of Dan shall be Ahezer, the son of Ahemshadiah, and his army was numbered at 62,700. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher. The leader of the children of Asher shall be Pegiel, the son of Orkan. And his army was numbered at 41,500. Then comes the tribe of Naphtali. And the leader of the children of Naphtali shall be Ahira, the son of Ian. And his army numbered 53,400. And all who were numbered of the forces of Dan, 157,600. And they shall break camp last with their flags, with their standards. Closest to the tabernacle, again, on the north was, was Dan. And then Asher, Naphtali, again. And then the flag, the standard of Dan, would have been an eagle. So the, the last one was an eagle. This picture here that I'm showing you, just kind of, there's the names that we just read. There's their positioning around the tabernacle. The little blue square shows the, the different sons. And we're going to look at the sons of the priests next week. You have a Korath and all these different names of the sons of the Levites. And they were all around the, the tabernacle. Now, here's the summary, verse 32. These are the ones who were numbered of the children of Israel by their fathers' houses. All who were numbered, according to their armies of the forces, were 603,550. But the Levites were not numbered among the children of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards, and so they broke camp, each one by his family, according to their father's houses. So there's the, the, the breakout. It's the breakout of the army. That's the organization or the arrangement of how they would break camp and reassemble. God has, has really ordered this. And again, what you see here over and over is by their armies or by their companies. Moses intentionally is using these military 
words. So you get the drift. You get the idea that, that God is forming an army that's ready to fight, ready to do battle. And that's, that's the point. They're going to be marching now toward the promised land. And as they go, they're going uh, to be encountering all kinds of dangers. And again, these people, they're herders. They're not warriors. They're not military men. But God's got to make a fighting force out of them so they can protect uh, themselves. They need to be prepared for those battles because they're going to be attacked. Now, again, each tribe was under the main general, and then you had the, the four tribes that were there. And so there was the, there's, there's all this organization that's going on within the verses that we just read. And there, there's some things I want to just draw from this that I think that we can apply, and I, I hope that you get this as we go through these things. There's five things here that we can take it directly apply to to our lives and to God. Number one, God is a God of order. Whenever you read about God in the Bible, you've discovered that he is very orderly in everything that he does. There's a purpose. There's a plan. He's not capricious. He just doesn't do whatever he feels like, although he's sovereign and can. Our God is very orderly in all that he does. He accomplishes things in his kingdom by a certain order and organization. And we see that from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, as God is creating, in the very first book of the Bible, God is creating. We have the creation of the known universe. At the very end of Genesis 1, the Bible says, then God saw everything that he made, he created. And then he says something here. Moses is writing, obviously, and he says, God said that it was very good. That term, very good, means complete. Exactly what was in the mind of God happened. He ordered it and then produced it. Everything that God does has a purpose. It has a plan. I think sometimes in our lifetime, we, we get so out of control and we try this and try that so hurriedly and fail, and then we think, well, maybe God does that too. Well, no, not at all. There's so many things that happen around us that we're, God, did, did, did you really intend for me to break my leg, for my car to break down, for, for this difficulty to happen? And, 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 and the, the, the truth is, is that God knows about everything that happens. And, and it could be that you broke your leg because you went skiing when you should you should have been working and you took the day off and went skiing and broke your leg. And God knew that you were going to break your leg. There's some things that we do that by choice, but there's many things that God does in our lives to bring us to a place of submission, to teach us a lesson. God does many different things in our lives. On this side of heaven, it's very difficult to see why or what or understand it all. But when we get on that side, we're going to look and we'll know exactly what God was. God had a purpose. God had a plan. He had a goal. We just need to trust him. We need to believe in what he's doing. We need to follow him by faith. We need to, like these agrarian people who weren't soldiers, who are learning to be, we need to be prepared. That's what this life is all about. God is preparing you for something. Maybe it's to share your faith with a dying person. 
that would never have, you've never would have encountered that person unless you would have been sick in the hospital with the croup or something, and you shared with the nurse and she came to Christ. I, God uses people in the, in the most amazing ways. But God is a God of order. He's made everything by design. He created everything, and he said, this is exactly what I want. It's very good. God also creates governments. Sometimes we wonder about government and its power. But God is the one that has put governments in order. You can read Romans chapter 13. It makes it very clear. But in Titus 3, Paul says this. He says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil to no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. That we are to be as orderly as God is ordered. We as Christians are to be subject to the rulers and authorities. Sometimes it's hard, but as long as they don't ask you to do something unscriptural, then you can be obedient and you can be gentle and you can show humility. God ordained structure not only in the, he ordered things in government, but he's ordered things in the home, in the family. God has an order, a priority. It's in Ephesians 6. I just put these verses in. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of promise that it may be well with you and you'll live long. Some of you mothers with little kids are going, I'm going to kill that kid. (laughs) There's an order in the home. There's husband, there's wife, and there's children. Whenever you twist that, whenever you change that around, you got problems. It's chaos. But if you stay in the order God's ordained, God's a God of order in all areas of, of life. Number two, every Christian is called into God's army. Just like these people were called into battle, called into this organization in order to be prepared for battle, every Christian, every New Testament believer is called into God's army. And uh, you might say, well, what what are we getting ready for? What's the preparation for? Well, you're you're in a battle. Some people don't believe they're in a spiritual battle. And I, I wonder, are you praying Are you looking? Are you walking circumspectly? Uh, Do you know what's going on around you? Because we are in a a spiritual battle. A lot of Christians would rather be on a cruise or vacation than be in a battle. When their pastor says, you're in a battle, this is, and they go, oh, pastor, you know, I just, I don't want to be in the battle. I, I just choose to be on the cruise ship instead. The truth is, every day is a battle for the believer. We have a a wily foe, an enemy of our soul, the devil who wants to kill and destroy. And if you're not aware of that, you will be. Ephesians 2, Paul says that Satan is the prince and the power of the air. He has authority here on this planet. He can't do more than God allows, but he has a lot of authority. Paul in Ephesians 6, it's the reason why Paul says this. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why would Paul tell you to put armor on if you weren't in a battle? You need to know what the armor is. It's spiritual armor. It's not literal armor. Everybody runs out to the 
the, the thrift shop down the street baseline here and tries to find some kind of armor, a helmet or something to put on. This, this is spiritual armor that Paul describes there in Ephesians chapter 6. And why do you need it? Notice he says that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So we're in a battle. Paul compares the believer to a soldier over and over in the New Testament. Here's one example in 2 Timothy 2. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlists him as a soldier. We're we're to understand that we're in a battle. God has not invited you to go on a cruise, Christian. And if you think that, then you don't know or understand the Bible. He's invited you to his war. He is going to win, ultimately. He's invited you to participate. How do we do that? What does that mean? Well, I can get on my knees and I can do battle in prayer for a loved one, for a struggling saint, for you as you're sick or hurting or whatever. I can can go to battle. And God hears those prayers and God answers those prayers. We have a role to play. We're soldiers in the army of, of God. Number three, Everything was positioned around God. Notice in the, this, the description we just read in chapter 2, everybody was positioned around the tabernacle. They weren't positioned around a, a ravine or water or a mountain. It was all around the tabernacle, all around God. All the tribes were close to God's presence, far enough away to show respect, but they were close to his proximity He wanted them close together so he could command them. The reference point for each and every member of the army or the tribes was God, was the tabernacle. They saw the the fiery pillar. They saw the cloud that, that came out of the holy of holies over the tabernacle itself. And Just as these people were surrounding God and and their lives encircled God, we need to make sure our lives do the same. Get in close proximity to God if you're not a saint. Get close to God through prayer and reading the Bible and being with other Christians, spending time in the Word. Keep yourself in that place positioned around God. The writer of Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not onto your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him. That, that's how you do that. You, everything. Paul said praying at all times, seeking the Lord. That's how you position yourself around God. Number four, everyone had a purpose. Everyone in the, the tribes had a purpose. The arrangement of the tribes, again, suggests that God was placing everybody in the place he wanted them to be. Judah was, went first. You know, Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah. There's no wonder that Judah is going to go first. There was courage there. And God had placed those people. And then the other tribes, they had their position and their, their, their specific strengths. And I, I love this truth because in the New Testament, when we come to know Jesus Christ, We're gifted by the Holy Spirit, and he places us in the body 
and in different churches. That's why there's not just one, there's one universal church that we're all part of. We're baptized into the body of Christ, the body meaning the church, the, the, the people that form the church. But all the individual churches like this one and many others in our city and surrounding area, gifted individuals, some that teach, some that sing, some that lead worship, some that serve in, in different capacities of deacons and elders, some that teach women's ministry, men's ministry, and by the way, men of the master is Saturday. I almost forgot that. So this Saturday morning, men, at 8 o'clock right here on the patio is men's ministry. It's, it's an opportunity to meet other men. There's Bible study, food. There's, there's, they always make a big breakfast. I don't know what they're making. But be warned, if it's, if it's burritos, it's not a burrito. It's like a doorstop. It's, it's, it's obscene. So if you want an obscene burrito on Saturday, guys, they're good, aren't they? I mean, the guys are going, yeah, and they love that stuff. But everybody in the army had a purpose. Every person in these tribes had a, a person, a prearranged place. And again, I believe you have a place in this church. Each person here has a place, a gifting, a calling. And you're just to use it, not to overuse it or underuse it. Just be available and use it. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministry, but the same Lord. And then this verse I have up behind me on the screen. And diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The gifts of the spirit are ministries. They're listed in, in 1 Corinthians 13 and Romans 13. There, there are different places in the Bible you will, where you'll see them gifted or, or, or mentioned. Um, and they, they're, they're just beautiful gifts, but they're to be used. And so just as God had a purpose for his army, his arrangement, his organization, or, there in Numbers chapter 2, God has a purpose and he arranges his church and the modern church and you and I as believers as well. There's a place for every one of us. We don't all have the same gifts or the same jobs. We don't have the same abilities, but there's a place for every single believer. So number one, God is a God of order. Number two, every Christian is called in his army. Number three, everything was positioned around God. Number four, everyone had a purpose. And finally, number five, they camped around four banners. Here's where this gets interesting. Now, I mentioned these four banners, and we've seen already the, the lion, the man, the calf, and the eagle. And I, I, can you put that picture up again, the four banners? And again, this is just, this is like clip art compared to the stuff that they would have seen. I'm sure it was much more glorious and grand. But just to get a picture in your mind, these were the banners that were the standards that were lifted up to direct the people. But there are four different uh, symbols there, and it's in Revelation chapter 4. Turn over there, if you would, with me. Just turn over to Revelation chapter 4. I just want you to see this.
This is what I love about the Old Testament and the New Testament. The discoveries um, that we find in, as we're New Testament saints and we look back in the Old. But in Revelation chapter 4, verse 7, there's a, a heavenly scene. And John is brought up into the third heaven. He's actually in heaven. And God is showing him things and asking him to write because God wants you and I living today know, to know these things that are in the book of Revelation. We're to know these things. We're not to be caught off guard. We're to know what's happening in, in the end times. But John is up in this heavenly scene and he's, he's looking at the throne of God. There's lights flashing, there's color, there's the, the, the crystal sea, there's the emerald sea around the throne. It's, it's, it's amazing. But he looks and he sees these living creatures. One was like a lion. The second one was like a calf. The third was, had the face of a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And all day long, these creatures, you know what they do? You know what their awesome ministry is? They fly around with their wings and they just say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is. And it's a beautiful picture of these beings that are surrounding the throne, worshiping God. What does that prove? Well, as I read that, I just see the Old Testament and the New. I see God has a plan. And he is so ordered in everything that he does. He's not random. And here's a pattern that now is being repeated in heaven. Something that is seen on earth. And, and I believe we see that in the Old and we see that in the New. And we're going to see it when we get to glory. Because our God is a, he, he's very ordered in what he does. Pastor Lee, why do you, the services, why do they always start out with a couple worship songs? They stand up, they get to, every church has its liturgy. We just have our own. It's, this is ours. It's probably not even ours. It's probably shared with a lot of other churches. Every church has its own. Some churches, the pastor, I know Damien Kyle, he always gets people to stand up. And, and when you read the scriptures, everybody reads together. And you stand up and you read, even if you have a different translation. It's kind of a mumble thing going on, but it's neat. You just read the word together. That's his liturgy. We don't do that here. Could do it. Everybody has their own order, but God has his own order. He's very orderly in everything that he does. I hope that as a young Christian or maybe even an old moldy Christian like my age, you'll understand that that. God has a purpose, and he has a plan, and he's got this order, and we're to fit in there and trust in him and walk with him by faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight, and what a blessing, Lord, it is to, to just study these Old Testament truths that reveal even New Testament reality. What a treasure, Lord, to read your word freely tonight. I, I thank you for this group of people that you brought. I pray that they would be encouraged. And those of, that are here tonight that have burdens, Lord, that I know you can lift. 
as they come to you and trust in you. Those that are maybe hearing about order and their life is kind of chaotic. Lord, they need order and help them. Cause them to submit to you. And, And Lord, may we, as your people, soldiers in your army, obey your commands and find joy in the King. In Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together.